Have you ever had a situation where you couldn't figure out how to get out of it? Or you ever had a problem that you couldn't figure out the solution for? So I am terrible at putting things together. And so um, when our fourth child came, uh, I was setting up her crib and got the whole crib together. When, when, when we had our first child, I set up the, our, our crib outside of the bedroom, and it didn't fit. Uh, when, we, when I got it set up, it didn't fit into the bedroom, so I had to take it apart and put it again in the bedroom. And that's a tip for first-time parents, where you set the crib up inside the room, not outside. But this, the second time, we had another crib. I was putting it together, and I had it all good. I set it up all in the bedroom. Everything was fine. And then the last thing to set up was like this pull-out drawer that slides in underneath the crib. And so I put the, the, the drawer together, but then when I slid it into the crib, it didn't go in all the way. So like it, it kind of stuck out. And so I was like, okay, I, I must have done something wrong. So I, I took apart the actual drawer, and I had the instructions with me, put it together again, put it in, and it didn't fit. And I thought, okay, maybe it's the joints that are under the crib itself. So I flipped the crib over and then tried to change the different nuts and bolts and, and, and slides in the crib itself turned it back, and then slid it, slid it in, and it didn't close all the way. Um, and if you're someone that's really picky, right, and it has to close all the way, right, that's just going to really irritate, right? And so I tried, oh, I don't even know, maybe like a few hours. I had the instructions, I, and, and I, was, I was trying to problem solve every single angle. So that was a year and six, year and five months ago, and it's still like that to this day. I can't figure it out. Like, and I thought, like, maybe I can ask people that know how to put stuff together, how to figure it out. But to this day, I, I, I don't get it. And my temptation is I'm going to blame the instructions. Like, somehow the instructions are wrong or somehow they put the crib together wrong. There's a defect. But I'm, like, 99% certain, like, I'm just not seeing something. And I, but I tried. Every single angle I've tried. And I, I, I need a different solution. I need a different perspective, right? Maybe for us, all right, our, 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 our struggles in life isn't, isn't as small as a crib that, that doesn't fit, uh, right? Maybe it's a bigger problem. Maybe it's a relationship trouble. Maybe it's a work circumstance. Maybe it's an internal thing we're dealing with, and we've tried to problem solve it, where we've tried to view that, that, that difficulty, that relationship from every angle, and we're just like stuck. Like we hit a wall. We don't know how else to view it? Uh, we need a different perspective, right? We need a different angle to see that challenge from. And, and that's what the, the, the churches in John's day were experiencing. John was writing to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that were experiencing a lot of difficulties. They were experiencing pressures from the Roman Empire, right? They're living in an empire that was devoted to the worship of the emperor and the worship of of the Greek gods. And so they were feeling pressure to, to worship the emperor and the Greek gods. Even some laid down their lives uh, because they did not worship the emperor, but chose to stay loyal to Jesus. So they're, they're facing pressure from the outside, but they're also facing attacks from the inside. In Revelation 2 and 3, the churches were dealing with false teachers and false teachings that were coming into the church and saying, hey, you know, like, it's okay. You can worship these other gods, and you can worship Jesus. It's okay to compromise. And so the church had to really fight against the false teachings that were seeping in. So they're facing pressures from the outside. 
They're facing pressures from the inside. Uh, and so they needed a, a, a perspective on how to view the challenges that they were facing. That's Revelation 2 and 3. And then later on, as you read Revelation, right, the world is going crazy as there's you know, natural disasters and diseases and famine and war and beasts and all these wild events going on in Revelation. But the world seemed to be going crazy. And we can feel that now, can we? Just the world seems to be spinning out of control. We hear about all kinds of wars going on, not just right in, in Russia and Ukraine, but really in many parts of the world, world there's, there's war going on. We read about famines. We read about global food insecurity. That's why right, our government's telling us, hey, Hawaii, you know, grow your own food, right? Because there's these supply chain issues and, and food crisis and whatnot that we're hearing about, diseases that we hear about, right? It feels like our world is, is going crazy. I'm sure that's how the churches in John's time were feeling. And just like them, we need to have a right perspective on how can we view the world right now? How can we view our, our lives right now that might feel like it's kind of spinning out of control? And that's what we're going to see and be encouraged by in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to get heaven's perspective on things. Because as the world seems to be going crazy, heaven is worshiping the Lord God. So let's look at Revelation 4, verse 1. What kind of perspective do we need to have now in our lives? It reads, John says, After this, right after these letters to the churches, I looked and there in heaven was an open door. The voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. I will show you must, what must uh, take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald, surrounded the throne. John is taken up into heaven in the Spirit. Now, what, what, what does that mean? We're not too sure, but he gets the experience and see what's going on in heaven and he sees the one seated on the throne here's what we need to see in our circumstances the perspective we need to have we feel like we're stuck we're overwhelmed we need to see that god is on the throne the throne is a big deal to john in this chapter in in the original language the word throne i think it's thronos is mentioned 14 times in the original language in this chapter alone. And what that tells us is, is John wants us to know the importance of God is on the throne. God is sovereign and he is in control. Even where, when it looks like everything's spinning out of control, when it feels like our lives are on a roller coaster going up and down, God is in control and he's not freaking out. God is not on the throne thinking, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to deal with all these wars that are going on? How am I going to deal with in food insecurity? How am I going to deal with my son or daughter's relationship with their wife or husband? I don't know what to do. God's not up in heaven wondering, gosh, this guy's in trouble. I didn't plan for that one. He's not planning out what he's going to do next because the first plan didn't work. No, he is on the throne. He is sovereign. 
He's in control. And when we see that in our own lives, that gives us peace. A while back, I went uh, on a trip to Molokai. And um, this is when they flew really small planes there. And so um, I'm not too sure if they still do that. But I was riding to Molokai on one of those small planes. And if you ever rode a small plane to an outer island, right, it's kind of freaky, right? Because it, it gets tossed up and down because of the winds. Because it's, it's not a large Hawaiian Airlines jet. It's one of those small planes. So I was riding on the plane, and the plane was kind of going up and down, getting pushed all over. And, and it can be really scary thinking, oh my goodness, we might crash. Like, this doesn't feel like a normal plane ride. But what gave me peace and what gave me, you know, what, did, what made me not freak out was I just looked at the pilot. Because the pilot isn't blocked off by, like, a door, like the, the large airlines. The pilot's, like, right there. You can tap him on the shoulder. It's, 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 that, kind of air, uh, it's kind of that kind of airplane. And I looked at the pilot, and he was just sitting there calmly enjoying the flight, calmly looking out the window as we're going up and down, up and down. And so... By me seeing that the pilot was calm, it made me know, okay, everything's okay because he's in control. We need to see that God is in control in our lives. When we start freaking out, when we start getting really anxious, a lot of times it's because our, our, our focus isn't on God in control, on the throne. Our focus is on ourselves and how are we going to fix the problem. But when we see that God is on the, uh, on the throne, it, it kind of calms us down. And then we can start to think clearly, okay, now that God's on the throne, how can I wisely engage in this relationship? How can I wisely go about my work, you know, drama situation? How can I wisely navigate, uh, you know, parenting my kids or caring for my wife or my husband? When we see God on the throne, we get, we get calmed. We have his peace. And we can think clearly to wisely navigate through whatever we're going through with God's wisdom. So the first thing we need to see, the perspective we need to have is God is on the throne. Let's continue reading. Verse 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their head. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second uh, living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four uh, creatures had six wings. Let's stop right there. Right, so here we, we, we get to see who is around the throne. It says that 24, uh, there are 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes. So this is where it's important to understand right, that the Bible and each book of the Bible has, has various genres. Various genres, right? So like in the Psalms, it's poetry. Right? In the Gospels, we, we see the, the, these accounts of Christ. When we read like Leviticus, we see a lot of just straight law. And it's important to know the genre of literature we're reading to understand how to read it. Think about it like this, right? Imagine, right, I think most of us probably use like Google Maps. You know, whenever we're driving somewhere where we don't know where to go, right, we, we put up our Google Maps or, or whatever we, we use, whatever app we use to, 
uh, GPS we use to find a location. And, and what does that, that app tell us? It just tells us straight up directions, right? Turn left on this street, turn right. Now imagine this, what if instead of giving straight directions, right, we put up our, our Google Maps and it gave us poetry to lead us there, right? So instead of saying, okay, turn left on Wiley to come here, instead you tap that app and it says, the lush grounds of Nu'uanu flow, right? The, the, the fire station bursting with workers and firefighters, right, stream past us. We'd say, okay, this is not helpful, right? Because I need direction. I don't need poetry, right? So it's, an, it's, it's important to understand the genre of something to understand how to read it. So Revelation, a part of Revelation, right, is apocalyptic literature. Now that's a big word. You don't have to remember it. Apocalyptic literature. And what that means is, is the author will use various symbols and numbers and pictures and scenes to communicate something to us. And so often he'll use metaphors and similes that teach us something. So for example, we're going to read later on that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Is he a literal lion? No, right? He's not. He's not Aslan, all right? Is he a literal lamb? No, right? But the reason why they give this kind of, these wordings is to invoke in us the, our imagination, to, to stir us up, right? Just as poetry will stir emotions more than the, re- the directions from Google Maps, right? So going back to Revelation 4, we need to remember that. This is apocalyptic literature. There's a lot of symbolism. So the question is, in the throne room of God, are there 24 70 to 80-year-old men sitting in front of God right now. It could. We could read that literally and say, okay, there's 24, 70, 80, 90-year-olds sitting before the throne of God. Probably not, though, right? If, again, if we're taking apocalyptic lens, that there's symbolism employed, then there is metaphor. So then, then who are these 24 elders? Um, one suggestion I'd like to suggest, right, that they are representative of the Old Testament and the New Testament believers. We're going to read this later on at the end of Revelation, where the, the, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel uh, are, are, are mentioned. Where 12, 24, right, the first 12 represent the 12 tribes of Israel, who represent the people of God in the Old Testament. The other 12 represent the 12 apostles of Christ. And so they represent the 12, they represent the New Testament believers. So you add 12 and 12 together, 24, we get all the people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, before the throne. They represent for us all of God's people. And that's how, how I see it uh, in, interpreted. Again, if we're employing apocalyptic literature, the symbolism that's involved. So we have God's people worshiping before the throne. And then we read that there is lightning and thunder, and that should remind us of Exodus, when Moses led God's people out, right, and, and they went to Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and lightning. And that was symbolic of right, God was revealing himself to his people. He sees a vision of heaven. Now, why? Well, here's one suggestion, right? The lion represents nobility. <clears throat> The ox represents strength. 
the man represents wisdom, right? Because hum- humans are supposed to be the wisest of God's creation, although we don't act like that all the time. And the eagle, right, represents swiftness. On all these, these, these creatures, right, seem to represent all the created order of God. The whole created order of God. So we have God's people around the throne. We have God's creation around the throne. And so what we need to see then, right, how our perspectives need to change is we need to see that God is the center of it all. All of creation is encircled around God. He needs to be the center of our lives, the center of it all, the main attraction, the one we give the most attention to, the one who dictates how we live our lives because all of heaven is focused on him. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us when, when we sinned, when humanity turned away from God, we took God out of the center and we put ourselves in the center of the throne or we put created things in the center of our throne and we began to worship ourselves, we began to worship other people, we began to worship creation and other things rather than God and that's where everything went crazy and haywire. But here in heaven, we see the right picture is that God is in the center of it all. He is the one that gets all the attention. What that means for us is that that means when we enter into our workplaces, God is the center. He's the one that we're working for. In our families, right, when we serve our, our spouses, our roommates, our parents, our, our siblings, right, God is the center. He's the leader of our family. And we love our family members because Christ first loved us. When we enter our problems and our hardships, we see God is in the middle of it all. He is going to walk with us through it. God is at the center. But God is not only at the center. He's at the center as our creator. Let's read verse 11 to the end. Each of the four living creatures had six wings And they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Here's the the last thing we need to see in our perspective. We need to see God, right? He is on the throne. He's in the center of it all. And he is our creator and he is our sustainer. Right? The host of heaven prays and say, you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created and were created. We need to see God is our creator. He made us. Whenever we feel insecure about ourselves, whenever we feel like no one else cares about us or what we're going through, whenever we feel left out or we feel invisible, here's what we have to go back to. God made us. God made us. He wanted to create us, and he made us. He knows us. We may struggle with our identity. We may struggle with being known and being loved. And when we do that, we need to go back to who made us. 
Because if he made us, that means he had purpose and value for us. And that will, you know, that is stronger than any kind of self-esteem message that we can ever learn in school or someone could ever tell us. Right? What's bigger than self-esteem is God-esteem. That God esteems us. And when we, when, when we believe that and we see that he, he values us, he made us, right, that frees us from having to be people pleasers. A lot of times, right, we'll, we'll people please because we want somebody to like us more. But if we're, we're secure in, our, in ourselves, if we're secure in who we are because God made us and God values us and God loves us, then we, we don't have to, you know, change who we are in order to fit in or in order to get somebody's attention. Not only did he create us, but he sustains us. What that means is whatever we're going through, he is going to make sure that we make it through. Maybe we're dealing with physical illness or mental illness, right? And it's so hard, right? The doctors give us a diagnosis and we're, we're feeling pain inside our bodies and our minds. And we just feel like, man, are we ever going to make it? God is our sustainer, right? He will be with us all the way to the day he takes us home. He will never leave us. And so we have that confidence that no matter what, he's going to make sure that he's going to carry us through it. Maybe it's a workplace situation. Maybe it's a relationship that's really difficult right now. God's going to sustain us. And we need to see that in the midst of our circumstances. And as we do that, how, how, how do we respond? How do we respond when we see God on the throne? We see him in the center. We see him as our creator and sustainer. Let me encourage us by three quick ways we respond. The first is we stand in awe of God. Right? The host of heaven is saying, holy, holy, holy. In other words, they're saying, right, there's no one like you, God. There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you. They are in awe of God. And they're saying this all the time. Now, right, they're not like these robots that are just kind of like, holy, 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 that, that's kind of doing it all the time. But they're genuinely experiencing the greatness of God, and they can't do anything but stand in awe of him all the time. Right? We don't know what that's like. We don't know what it's like to be in awe of something all the time. Like, remember the first time they built the H3? And then you took the H3 tunnel to go Kaneohe Kailua, and you just like, I was in awe of just how beautiful it is. Like you see the waterfalls cascading down the mountain when it was rainy, and just like the enormous trees, the steep cliffs, and you're like, wow, the H3 is beautiful, right? The, 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 the view. It's just awe-inspiring. But then after a while, like you, you drive the H3, it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. You kind of lose that awe, right? Uh, this past week, um, I, I went to a, uh, a, a pastor leader conference up in, up in Colorado in Denver and my hotel room faced the Rocky Mountains and I never saw the Rocky Mountains before I saw, and I saw it this week and I was looking at it I was like oh my gosh it's crazy because our Hawaii mountains right just, you just see the mountain range but the Rockies like you see past the first range of mountains and you see more mountains and more mountains and then you see snow on top of the mountains I was looking at the hotel room like wow it's beautiful and the next day it's like oh that's nice. And then and the last day, it's like, oh, right? In, in our lives, right, we can be in awe of a lot of things, and that's a blessing, right? But after a while, we kind of lose that awe, right? It can still be kind of cool. Oh, that's cool. But after a while, it's like, oh, okay. And you kind of like forget, since you live in Hawaii, you kind of forget, right? Like, oh, yeah, it's like super beautiful here. That's not what it's going to be like in heaven. 
It's not going to be like, oh, that's awesome, that's God, oh, I can't continue, and then the next day, oh, that's cool, that's God. No, right, these living creatures, these, this host of heaven, all the time, they're in awe. Right, and, and, and we're here on earth, right, we're still dealing with sin, right, and we can't fully experience what they're experiencing. But we can grow in standing in awe as we, as we see how sovereign and great God is. So that's the first thing. Stand in awe as we learn, as we take in more of who God is through his word. Second is we praise him with words. That's what, 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 what they were doing. They weren't just standing in awe, but they were praising God with their words. Right? We can be, some of us are really extroverted, so, so using our words is very easy. Others of us, other, others of us are very introverted, and so we don't talk much. Right, but when God captures our hearts, when we experience the love that he has for us and the greatness that he has, that, that, that he is, we cannot help but praise him like them. So praise God with, his, with, with our words. And then third is, in response, offer your lives for his service. That's what they were doing. Right? The 24 elders were casting their crowns they took it off their heads and they cast it before God, offering it to him. Romans 12.1 says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When we experience the greatness of God and when we have the love of God through Christ, our response is serving him with what he has given us. Whatever it is, our time, our resources, right? We offer to him because he is our king. Because God in his great love for us, even though he is great and awesome, as we see in, heaven, as we see in this vision in chapter 4, he left his throne and came to earth. And he lived and he died on the cross for us, for our sins. He rose again from the dead right, to give us this new life so that we can be brought into the very throne room of God and experience his presence. So let's continue, right, to stand in awe, to worship him with his words uh, today. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you are great and awesome, unmatched, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would be led to stand in awe of who you are, to praise you with our words, to offer our lives as living sacrifices. Thank you for Jesus that is all made possible so that through his death and resurrection for us. So lead us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.